you know, <laughs> one of the one of the things that I was missing was the was in fact that I am not a man, <laughs> uh, that I am not a little version of a man, but I in fact am a woman with a menstrual cycle, and as such, having sort of these varying uh, oscillating hormones, really week to week and truly day to day throughout my menstrual cycle. So really understanding and playing and tinkering around with different. Uh, caloric uh, allotments, different macronutrient allotments through the cycle uh, really ended up being the key for me to really sort of put that estrogen, like to be able to remedy that estrogen dominance so that every month my breasts weren't angry at me, that I could put on a shirt without, you know, without it being a painful endeavor. I'm Emily Williams, the founder of I Heart My Life and your I Heart My Life show host. I always say, I'm just a girl from Ohio with really big dreams. And now I work from home running a dream business that helps you achieve your goals and create more joy in your life. This podcast is all about all the topics that really matter to you. And it's about giving you everything you need in one place. Mindset, relationships, wellness, lifestyle, money, business, and career. We have it all. This is your one-stop shop for all things personal development meets lifestyle. So pull up a seat, get out a pen and paper, and get ready to learn. It's time to create a life that's better than your dreams with the I Heart My Life show. Welcome to episode 243, How to Use Your Menstrual Cycle to Transform Your Body with Dr. Stephanie Estima. So Dr. Stephanie Estima is a chiropractor with a special interest in metabolism, functional neurology, and body composition, who has devoted her time to analyzing hormones and creating a system to help women naturally overcome painful periods. She's also the creator of the Estima Diet. So Stephanie is an incredible woman. She is somebody who experienced a lot of pain in her body when it came to her time of the month. It was a really extreme reaction for her for what she says was decades. And then she uncovered a way in which she could eat differently and use her periods to support her in transforming her body. That meant weight loss. It meant no more cramps. It meant no more breast tenderness. All these things that she had been looking for a solution for for so long were literally right in front of her. And so she now helps women do the same thing to move through all of the painful stuff that comes with menstruation and really put an eating plan and workout plan in place to work with their body and get the results that they want. So in this conversation, Dr. Stephanie actually breaks down a week by week strategy for eating and fitness that anyone can adopt in their own life. And it's super, super simple to do. So as she was talking, I was literally on the edge of my seat because I was just so amazed at what she's come up with and also amazed at the fact that we were never taught this. And that so much of we're taught when it comes to health and eating as women has been actually geared towards men. And that's why it doesn't work. And that's why we're not able to create lasting change or we fall off the wagon. So definitely take some notes as you're listening to this episode because Dr. Stephanie Estima has so much wisdom to share. And I guarantee that in some way or another, she's going to change your life today. So let's dive in. Welcome to the I Heart My Life show, Dr. Stephanie. So pumped to have you here today and hear more about your journey, as well as talk about weight loss, hormones, and all the things that women need to know about living their best life. I am so just tickled to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to, I think we're going to have a great conversation today. 
Definitely. So I always like to start with the story behind the success and the story behind you creating a life that's better than your dreams. So take us back. Where did this all begin? Uh, well, my I guess my journey into what I'm doing now is re- was really born out of hating my period. <laughs> that's really the most succinct way to uh, to put it. I had just an abomination of a menstrual cycle for really decades. Um, without really knowing it, I was running very estrogen uh, dominant. I had suffered very uh, severely from PMS and all of the, you know, in the two weeks sort of leading up to my cycle, which we'll talk a little bit about today in terms of what bleed week means and all of that, but very, very distended abdomen, uh, sore and tender breasts, moody, couldn't focus, you know, was trying to manage the symptoms uh, with medication unsuccessfully and really just started diving into some of the protocols that we'll talk today around nutrition. And I started off doing it like all the men were doing it because that was sort of the literature that was kind of available at the time. And then noticing some peaks and pits, if you will, some highs and lows in my own cycle when I was really able to carbohydrate restrict, let's say, or when I really needed to have more protein or just overall when I needed to be having more food and more calories. So that was, that's sort of been a you know, call it a seven to eight year journey. I wrote a book last year that came out about my own journey and then some of the protocols that I've developed when I was practicing in a brick and mortar practice. And then I'm sure we'll talk about my decision to sort of close the brick and mortar practice and just go all in for online and sort of reaching more people that are not limited by geography. So that's sort of the, you know, the back of the envelope, 30 second, maybe a little more than that, but yeah, that's, that's the story. And so what were some of the things that you were told to do to try and alleviate these symptoms? So you mentioned medication. Was there anything else that you tried that's sort of common practice for women that doesn't actually work? Um, well, medication was the first line of defense that I was offered from, you know, my allopathic physician. And, you know, no, no, we're not throwing shade. You know, that's sort of what they're trained to do. Like you go in with a symptom and they have a medication that's going to quash that symptom, right? Um, so it was offered medication. I'm, I'm very interested just professionally in the brain, brain metabolism and how you know, nutrition, let's say, or lifestyle factors will alter, you know, our ability to have a good night's sleep will alter our mood, our ability to focus. And so I was very, very interested in the ketogenic diet. The ketogenic diet's been around now for at least a century, but very, very popular resurgence, you know, in the last 10 years or so. So I was very, very interested in the ketogenic diet when I started reading about it in terms of its effect on the brain. And I was like, well, I'm going to do that then because I can't think straight for two weeks out of the month. I can't focus. I'm, you know, I'm sleepy. I'm moody. I'm agitated. I'm emotional. And for a while it was working really well for me. And then it sort of wasn't. So, you know, in the beginning I was like, oh yeah, like mental clarity's back. That brain fog is gone. I'm losing some of the weight, you know, that premenstrual syndrome is improving. And then it slowly stopped being as effective as it once was. And of course, like any woman, I was like, well, I must not be doing it right. You know, I just, I must have, I must do keto more, you know, because I got to do the keto harder. And, you know, (laughs) one of the, one of the things that I was missing was the, was in fact that I am not a man, (laughs) uh, that I am not a little version of a man, but I, in fact, am a woman with a menstrual cycle. And as such, having sort of these varying uh, oscillating hormones really week to week and truly day to day throughout my menstrual cycle. So really understanding and playing and tinkering around with different 
uh, caloric uh, allotments, different macronutrient allotments through the cycle uh, really ended up being the key for me to really sort of put that estrogen, like to be able to remedy that estrogen dominance so that every month my breasts weren't angry at me, that I could put on a shirt without, you know, without it being a painful endeavor. Um, so where I ended up landing with, with nutrition specifically uh, was this sort of cyclical approach to the ketogenic diet where we do sort of protein restriction and then weeks where we're high on protein, high on carbohydrates. You know, I've always been in fitness, always sort of, you know, competed in a, in a figure competition before I had kids. I uh, was a fitness instructor. That's actually how I paid for my way through chiropractic college, which is my formal uh, training. So always in and around the fitness world. And the thing that really, really helped me again, I used to train exactly the same way every day, no matter where I was in my cycle. And some days I would be bagged and it would be like, nope, you're going to do it. You have this workout, you got to punch it out. And of course, not giving myself appropriate recovery. And what ended up again, sort of being born out of this approach to, okay, I'm a woman, I have this cycle. Can I change the way that I train based on my cycle? And the answer ended up being, yes, I should be. And I do. And I've done this with thousands of patients where we modulate where we change the way that they're working out throughout their cycle to sort of honor the different levels of estrogens and testosterone that, that sort of come up and down through the cycle. Wow. Okay. So there's so much to unpack here. Thank you for this. I'm so excited. I'm on the edge of my seat to learn more. So I'm curious to know, so you mentioned a few elements about nutrition. Can you break it down even more for us? Like what were the things that you had to adjust in your own diet that made the biggest difference for you? Yeah. Good question. So uh, I mentioned that I started this ketogenic diet like several years ago and was kind of just doing keto all the time. Yeah. I have now since landed that women should not be in, in ketosis all the time. I think that there's period, there's you know, sort of advantageous times for us to be in keto, but it's not something that we should be doing all the time. And again, from an evolutionary point of view, you might you might say, well, that makes sense because if there's no, if you're always restricting one whole food group, you know, one whole macronutrient group, that being carbohydrates, which is what the ketogenic diet does, we're sort of restricting protein mildly, but then you're also severely restricting carbohydrates. This is not necessarily amazing for fertility, you know, like it's, you know, your ovaries, especially if you are in your reproductive years, and we'll touch on menopause today as well, but for women who are in their reproductive years, your ovaries are literally constantly scanning the environment to look out as to whether or not this is a good month for you to produce an egg. Are you, is this the conditions that are going to be favorable for a pregnancy? And if you are overly fasting, overly calorically restricting not having enough carbohydrates, your ovaries know that. The way that they know that, just for you know your nerds that are listening, I'm sure there's a few of them out there that uh, when we start <laughs> me, yeah, when we look at the concentration of mitochondria in the ovaries themselves, you have about a hundred thousand mitochondria per oocyte, like per ovarian cell. Now, if you compare that, let's say to myocyte, like a cell in the heart, uh, you'll get about five thousand mitochondria per myocyte. In the liver, you'll get about 2000 mitochondria per hepatocyte. So you can just from kind of looking at those numbers, the overarching, like your ovaries are basically the eyes that are not in your head. They're like the eyes in your body that are sort of constantly scanning the environment to see whether or not this is an appropriate environment for a baby. So I started off doing keto 
like a guy, like always in ketosis all the time. Where I ended up landing on, and this is kind of my own uh, experimentation, like my own N of one, if you will, but also on my patient, my female patient population in the clinic was that in the first half of our cycle, which is called the follicular phase, generally the, the, our menstrual cycle is 28 days give or take, you know, like 26 to 32 days, let's call it. But the first half of the cycle is called the follicular phase because it's all about the development of a follicle. The second half of the menstrual cycle is called the luteal phase because where it's, it's under the influence of something called the corpus luteum. So first two weeks of the cycle, we have the follicle. And what happens of course, is we are in the first week is your bleed week, right? That's when you are, that's when you have your period. You can, you know, we all know when we have our period because there's physical signs of it, but this is is actually a great week because of the hormonal composition that week to actually be in a ketogenic state. You'll notice right before you get your period, most women will say, I'm hungrier. This is not a time to be in keto, right? When you get your period, right? When you're on that, when you're in that bleed week, this is a great time to do keto. Our, we have a hormone that's not around. It's called progesterone, which is primarily in the luteal phase of the, of the cycle. Progesterone is very much involved in appetite and it's involved in many other things, which we'll get to, but you don't have that in the follicular phase at all. So a lot of women will report that in those first two weeks, but in particular, it's sort of the relief, you know, with the shedding of the endometrial lining and in that bleed week that their appetite is lower. Maybe it's still a little bit high, you know, the day of, right. But once we start to remove inflammation and we start to regulate the cycle, a lot of women will say, yeah, bleed week is when my appetite is at its lowest. And so that's a really great week to do keto. Another great time to do keto is actually right after we ovulate. So ovulation is sort of the, it's actually the point of our cycle. Like a lot of I always, I always joke and say, you know, like the period is like the popular girl. She gets all the attention, right? Like we all know when we're on our period, we know what color, how long, all that. But ovulation is the main game. Like that's the main play of the cycle is to release an egg. And that happens, you know, about midway through the cycle. I don't like to say day 14 because, you know, 14 is half of 28. So if you have an exact 28 day cycle, it's going to happen somewhere between day, you know, call it 12 and 16 but somewhere halfway through the cycle, you will release an egg. It's viable for you know anywhere from four to 24 hours. So not a long time, but then again, the hormonal composition, like right after ovulation. So kind of the beginning of week three, very much looks like week one, like bleed week, right? So day one of your cycle is the first day that you have blood, uh, you know, in your cup or whatever you're using. And then day week three looks very much like that. We see estrogen is very low right before ovulation. And it sort of extends for a couple of days after, before it starts to rise again. Um, we start to see pr progesterone's kind of not there yet. Progesterone starts to increase in week three. She peaks at about day 21, day 22 ish. So kind of the beginning of week four. So this is another great week to be doing keto. So when I sort of noticed those two similarities between week one and week three, I started doing keto there. The other thing that I did, which I think was a game changer for me in terms of my ability to like repeat the cycle, like going back to keto again, is the use of something called resistant starches. And I've talked about this a lot. I've written blogs about it. I've done podcasts on it. But resistant starches are basically uh, starches that resist digestion, hence the name, a resistant starch. So it's not absorbed in the small intestine where most of our food is absorbed. It's actually absorbed in the large intestine. So in the large intestine, we are actually feeding 
the microbiome, like the, the bugs, if you will, that are involved in helping with cravings, helping to improve the intestinal permeability of the lumen of the intestine. And it helps with sleep. Like there's a whole bunch of things that happen, but a lot of women who try keto, if they're doing it for a month or two months or three months, one of the things that they will often report is around week three or four, they just want carbs. Like it doesn't matter how much fat they have. It doesn't matter how much protein they consume. They just want pizza, a bagel, you know, chips, cookie, like give me the carbs. But one of the ways that you can actually circumvent that is by consuming these resistant starches because the, the cravings that a woman is feeling when she's wanting carbohydrates is essentially a distress signal from the microbiome to the brain. Like there's no food here because all those colonocytes, all those cells in the large intestine, they feed off of fiber and they feed off of carbohydrates. So if we're not giving them carbohydrates, you're going to want carbohydrates. But a resistant, like an example of a resistant starch might be like a raw potato flour, green bananas are a really good source of resistant starches, not the yellow bananas, but the green ones that you buy from the grocery store and they're kind of tough. Same thing with green plantains. Those are really great. Cooked and cooled rice, cooked and cooled potatoes. These are all really good examples of resistant starches. So if you're consuming those, particularly in week three, when progesterone starts coming around, we get that appetite stimulation. You can really help quell a lot of the cravings that you can experience if you've been doing keto for a long time with the use of these. And of course, they're really good for the microbiome. As I mentioned, they're good for beauty sleep. They help with deep sleep. They help with your hair, skin, and nails, like all the beauty stuff that, you know, we're all trying to always find like the hacks. I mean, one of the best ways you can you know, increase your, you know, the shininess of your hair, let's say, or the glowiness of your skin is by consuming some of these resistant starches as well. Amazing. So interesting. So, and then you mentioned right before your cycle, normally we have a bigger appetite. So would that yeah. be considered week four? And would that be a different way of eating? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Good question. So in week four, actually in week two and week four, again, I actually like to eat a similar way. Okay. So if we say what week one and three, we're doing keto week two and four, we're not doing keto. So I really like to increase protein and increase carbohydrates in both of these weeks, but we'll just double click on week four. Cause you mentioned, and I can circle back to week two in a moment, but in week four, this is like peak week, right? It's like do or die week. It's like, we either have an embryo, we either have, we have a pregnancy or we don't. So your body is working incredibly hard to build up the endometrial lining, which is what you see in your underwear, right? Like that is the blood, like that is the period is essentially the shedding of that endometrial lining. But in week four and week three, your body is throwing all sorts of nutrients in there. It's throwing in glucose, amino acids, free fatty acids. It's throwing in minerals. It's throwing in vitamins because it's basically trying to build up this five-star hotel to be able to receive right this, this fertilized egg. And when we are in week four, we are going to be much hungrier naturally under the influence of progesterone, as I've already mentioned, but also because all of our nutrients are essentially going into this endometrial lining. So we're naturally going to be hungrier. And this is, this was one of the biggest lessons that I learned because I used to try to white knuckle my way through the whole month. It was like, it doesn't matter if I'm hungrier, I'm going to, you know, eat the same way. And I would end up falling off like famously and egregiously and like cleaning out the pantry and like eating all the things in sight and like, you know, 
literally saying to myself, like, what is wrong with you? Why can't you eat? Why are you good for two weeks? And then like you fall off for two weeks. It's like two steps forward, three steps back. That's what it sort of eternally always felt like to me. What I do in week four is I change the nutrient composition of the diet. So there's more protein, there's more carbohydrates, less fat, but I also up my calories. So, you know, let's say I'm having, you know, maybe I naturally have, I don't know, 1600 calories. That's, that's about right. I usually eat like somewhere between 15 and 1600 calories a day. Let's say I might bump that up in week four by 10 to 20% based on, you know, how much sleep I've had, how much stress I have in my life, what my lifting schedule is like, et cetera. So I think when you give women permission, it's like you buy it, like your physiology is demanding that you eat more, right? So you just, as much as we would like to think that, you know, we can go against our biology, you just simply cannot like your hormones are much more powerful, your microbiome, the whispers that it gives your brain via the gut brain access, you know, it, it's going to be very difficult for you to resist that over the long term. So increasing your caloric uptake, I think is really important in week four. And then we'll kind of come back to week two, just to sort of you know, tie all the yeah, weeks up in a bow, if you will. Week four, a week two, rather, I like to eat that same way. So like pulling back on the fat, higher protein, higher carbohydrates. And the reason physiologically in week two is slightly different than in, in week four. So in week four, we've been talking about like, basically your body trying to make this like nice, big, fluffy, cushy, nutri nutritionally dense area for a fertilized egg. In week two, what we have is peaking estrogen and peaking testosterone. And a lot of us, we don't realize that testosterone is actually the most abundant sex hormone in the female body. It's not estrogen. Like we all think, you know, I'm a woman, I have more estrogen and it's true. We have more estrogen than our male counterparts, but we have more testosterone in the female body than we have estrogen and testosterone peaks in week two. So in week two, one of the best things that you can do is to drive up your muscle mass. And this is like, this is the hill I'm going to die on Emily, because I want women to be lifting weights. I think that we're scared of lifting weights. I think, it, you know, a lot of, it still persists this myth around, you know, we're going to turn into the Hulk. We're going to turn into this bulky, crazy, you know, bodybuilder, right? Whenever I say like, if I say the word bodybuilding, a lot of people have this sort of connotation of like these freaks of nature that are all juiced up and they're on roids and they're, you know, uh, but that's simply not true for women. I mean, and I'll tell you, like, we don't have the capacity to build that kind of muscle. I mean, there's going to be obviously some genetically, you know, there's going to yeah. be a very few outliers in that who will be able to genetically very easily put on muscle mass. But for 98% of the population for female, the female population, like when I say female, I mean like anatomically chromosomally, you know, you're a female, mm -hmm. it's hard for you to put on muscle and you need to maximize that week too by lifting heavy and increasing your protein. Because what happens when, you know, chemically we'll talk about just the diet, when you increase your protein, of course, you're now driving muscle protein synthesis, which is just kind of what it sounds like. You're just making more muscle protein. And so you're making more muscle when you consume more protein, you're pairing that with increased carbohydrates, which are going to prevent muscle protein breakdown. And now you are net positive in terms of muscle growth. And that is 
going to help your testosterone levels over the long term. And one of the things we know, particularly, you know, if you have women like entrepreneurs who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, we know that naturally testosterone kind of declines, right? And naturally with age just declines if you're not doing anything about it. One of the ways that you can naturally keep your testosterone levels augmented, that you can increase them is through increasing your muscle mass. So that's specifically why I do it in that week is like that sort of high protein, higher carbohydrates in week two, and then higher protein, higher carbohydrates in week four, but with, with an additional calorie bump as well. Amazing. And when you say lifting weights, so can you tell us, is that three days a week? Is it every day? What is your schedule during those weeks? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of individual, like, you know, everybody's going to be a little bit different. I've been lifting weights for decades. So I really enjoy, like, most of my training is resistance training. I do very little cardio. The cardio that I do do is, is typically like very low intensity, steady state, meaning that I might walk for, I go for a walk after dinner with my kids. You know, we'll go for like an hour around the neighborhood or we'll go mm-hmm. to the park or something. But it's not like specific where like I'm on a treadmill and I'm running my heart out. And I'm doing that for 50 minutes. I don't have like a specific cardio. I do much, I do like four to, you know, depending on the program that I'm like, what my goals are like four to five, sometimes six days of, of training, but it's usually four to five is sort of the number. But if you're listening and you're like, I can't do that. Like, there's no freaking way I want to do five days of training. You don't have to, you know, you, all you really have to do is commit to an upper, you know, body, a lower body, and like maybe a full day, you know, like maybe three days in a week where you might be building a foundational base of strength. Because one of the things that we want as we age, right. We want muscle mass. And not only does the muscle mass, you know, make us look good, which, you know, let's be honest, we all want to look good, right? Mm -hmm. But it also helps with our bones, right? It also helps with our skeleton because our muscles attach to our bones, right? So one of the things that women should be concerned with as they age is this sort of fragility of the, like this sort of like brittleness that can set in, in the bone. If you're not, if you're not lifting weights or you're not careful, this sort of osteopenia leading to osteoporosis, which is kind of like if you look at an osteoporotic bone on imaging on x-ray, it literally looks like Swiss cheese. Like it just looks, there's all these like pock marks through the bone, mm-hmm. both through like the, the outside of the bone, which we call the cortex. And then the, and then the cancellous bone, which is like the inner matrix of the bone. Not it's like bad news bears. You don't want pock marks in your bone. You want them strong so that you can you know, travel, hopefully you can run after your grandkids. You can, you know, live in, even if those things aren't even important to you, just living independently, you can't have fragile bones. It's not as simple as just drinking milk. Like we've been taught. (laughs) No, no. And I would, and I would argue that that's a terrible source of protein, but you know, cause a lot of, a lot of us are sort of lactose intolerant, but yeah, I I think that one of the things that we all should be prioritizing as women, I mean, if you have a, you know, I think this is true for men uh, as well for different reasons, but you know, my, the people that I serve are are women. Uh, We want to be thinking about preserving and adding to uh, our muscle mass as we age, it's a way to improve your health, right? It's one of those drugs, let's say that have no downside, right? Maybe some sore legs, but it has absolutely no side effects and you can continue to increase the dose without, you know, with, without injuring yourself, without be, without it becoming toxic. I love that. And you mentioned, you know, that's something you specifically do during weeks two, the lifting, is it weeks two and four? 
I lift all through the cycle. That's so what I was I lift, ask. Yeah, yeah. So I, I lift like five days every, every week, okay. but it's the way that I train that changes. So let's say in week one, we'll kind of go through the cycle one, two, three, four. Yeah. So like, you know, week one, you know, some women will say like, you know, the first day, maybe the second day, they're kind of achy and, you know, lethargic. And that's completely fine. You can take those days off if you want. Once you start to feel, you know, a little bit better, I actually like to train what I would call moderate weight training. So you're lifting somewhere between call it eight to 12 repetitions of whatever, you know, maybe you're doing like squats or you're doing bicep curls or you're doing, you know, hip thrusts or lunges or, you know, whatever it is that you're doing pushups, pull-ups, but you're doing eight to 12 of those repetitions because that is going that in terms of the hormonal environment that's, that's around at that time, that is really, really great. Uh, it's a nice way to kind of get back into the training once you're, once you're in your bleed week, as we move into week two, with that peak of estrogen and that peak of testosterone that we were mentioning before, I like to lift very heavy this week. So I like to, you know, move the reps down, but the weight up. So the reps might move from, you know, eight to 12 was week one. I move it to like five to eight in week two, but the weight is significantly higher. I usually need a spot uh, or I can just do, let's say five or six with like really good form. And I know if I do rep seven, like everything's going to fall apart. So mm -hmm. like I'll maybe do five or six reps that week. As we move into week three, again, paralleling the hormonal, like we see estrogen sort of low in week one, estrogen is low in the first half of week three. I like to come back to that moderate weight again. So like that eight to 12, kind of depending on your, how heavy the weight is and how, how your form is. And then in week four, where everyone's kind of feeling a little miserable, like we're all still feeling like, you know, maybe we're a little bit moody and irritable, et cetera. Um, I like to decrease the weights quite a bit. And then the rep range increases. So we go from, you know, we go eight to 12 in week one, five to eight in week two, eight to 12 in week three. And then in week four, I like to bring it up like 15 to 20. Like I like to have mm -hmm. uh, a lot of reps here. And the reason for that is every time your muscles are contracting, you know, let's say you're doing a bicep curl. And if, if we're watching this on video, I'm like mimicking a bicep curl right now. You know, the bicep is releasing something called a myokine, which is a subset of the immune system. It's anti-inflammatory. So if you feel relatively inflamed, let's say in week three or four in those weeks ahead of your period, increasing those reps, like in week three, it was like eight to 12, you know, in week four, it's like 15 to 20. The more reps that you have, the more that's going to have an anti-inflammatory effect systemically, systemically on your body. Wow. Okay. So I know that this is a lot of information for people. I'm loving every minute of it. And I'm so grateful that you did this work to figure this out for us, because I imagine it was a lot of trial and error and you're obviously so knowledgeable and you love all of this content for the people who are a little bit nervous about implementing this or feeling like, you know, I don't know if my schedule allows, can you first just highlight the results and the effects of doing this, of, of living your life this way? Like what changed for you once you put all of this into practice and you really fine tuned it? Yeah. Well, right now I'm, I'm 44, the double fours. And I feel like I menstruate like a goddess. Like I used to feel like being a woman was a punishment. Like every month I was being punished, you know, like I was having so much pain and moodiness and like, you know, just my body aches, my knees, my back, like the day or two that like that almost the entire week that I had my period, like that four or five days, like knees were achy, back was achy. Like it felt like it was 
I felt like an old lady, you know, mm. like that, that week. So and now how many years did you suffer with that? Oh, decades. Like, wow. Truthfully, you know, I would say late teens to, you know, all the way through chiropractic school. I graduated uh, chiropractic school. I was 20. Oh gosh. How old was I? 23. I think I was 23. And then like through to, like I had my, my first child when I was 32 and it really wasn't after I had my second child. And it was like, you know, everyone tells you like, once you have babies, like you're, you know, your period so much better. Like I was like, where is that? You know, like, it's still not that way for me. Like it was still wow. terrible. So I would say like decades, like from, mm. you know, kind of mid to late teens all the way through to like, you know, just before I was 40, when I started kind of playing with it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I interrupted you. And now. Yeah. And now I have, I have, like, I, like I said, I feel like I menstruate like a goddess. It's not something where one of the things that I used to have to do when I would get my period is I'd have to bring a change of pants. So like, if I was going into the clinic that like the first day or two, like at a rate of like nine times out of 10, I would have so much blood. It was almost like hemorrhagic that I would, wow. I would bleed through my pants. So if I was you know, let's say sitting for an hour with a patient going over, you know, whatever labs or mm. whatever, like I would step up for, like, I would be so scared to stand up from mm. my chair and have them have an eyesight or a view of the chair. Cause like, sometimes there would be, you know, a stain on the chair. So none of that anymore. It's like a regular flow. So yeah, it's heavier, you know, the first half of the, of the period versus the end that's normal, but I don't have, I don't have to bring extra pairs of clothes, like pairs of pants with me anymore. My mental, I don't have that sort of paralyzing emotional, you know, sadness and weepiness that I used to have. And I certainly, there are things that, you know, still annoy me, <laughs> you know, there's things that still get on my nerves as I am human. Uh, and they may be highlighted in that fourth week, but it's not something that takes me down for the count the way that it used to. And I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to share my personal story to hopefully and inspire someone who's listening, but it's also not just me. Like this has been like years and years in the clinic, kind of working and tweaking with my female patients who were so grateful to let me kind of use them as, you know, as, as their, as my Guinea pig. So I've had, you know, thousands of patients as well in terms of data that has really backed up this, this idea of modulating the way that you train, modulating the way that you eat based on where you are in your cycle. So I would say, like personally, you know, all of the PM, I don't have any sort of PMS. I don't have any of that tenderness and bloating and distension and sore breasts and the things that I used to experience, but I do. And I'm much more attuned with when I need to give myself a break, when I need more carbohydrates, when I need to bump up my protein. And the other thing I'll say, which I think is incredibly freeing, particularly for a woman is, uh, and, and coming from the keto space as well. Like sometimes in keto, like we really do demonize carbohydrates. Like it's like, they're the devil and they're going to cause diabetes and cardiovascular disease and cerebrovascular disease and all of these things. And while certainly in excess, that's true. And, you know, if you're eating more of a standard American diet, that, that may be true, but I've also healed my relationship with food. So mm -hmm. I no longer fear having carbohydrates, which is what I, what, when I was starting keto, I was like, oh my God, all carbohydrates, the worst, I'm not going yeah. near them. Of course, now knowing that that's nonsensical, you know, for the long term anyway, like anybody can do keto for a couple of months, like we can all do right. it, but whether we're going to do it for years is quite a different story. 
And have you found that with yourself or with your patients that this way of, you know, moving through the month and eating and exercising has also helped people with to lower inflammation and with weight loss? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, the weight loss piece, I mean, that's sort of what I'm known for is like helping women reconstitute their body composition. And of course, part of that is when we say weight loss, of course, what we mean is fat loss, right? Because we don't want to lose bone weight or brain weight or organ weight, right? We want to lose our adiposity. So this is an, an excellent way sort of starting off in like a therapeutic intervention of ketosis, like just to kind of reduce the insulin, reduce the blood glucose, get your body used to dipping into your you know, fat cells as a source of energy. But then after that, starting to modulate the way that you eat based on your cycle, that's sort of the long-term play. So like the short-term weight loss play is sort of in that first phase where we're doing that therapeutic intervention of, of ketosis. And then the lot, like to keep the weight off, that's another thing, right? It's like, we can all, everybody can lose 10 pounds if we want, but how many of us can keep it off, right? It's, you have to create new behaviors that support your biology, that support your physiology. That's what I would say in terms of like hormonal balancing, weight loss, in terms of cognition. And then I would also just say the psychology around your relationship with food, I think is is an important one that's under, we don't talk about it enough. And quite frankly, I'm not asked about it enough. Like everybody wants to know about like, does it lose weight? Yes, it does. We do lose weight on this, on this protocol, which is super important. But the other thing that's also really important is that you heal your relationship with food. And I would argue that more women have some type of like body dysmorphia where we look at ourselves and we think we're much uglier and bigger and more grotesque than we actually are. And there's also a level of dysfunction in our relationship with food. Like we self-soothe with food. We try to resist, let's say consuming carbohydrates as I did. And then you just fall off the wagon in week four, as I did literally predictably every single month for years. And we, as women, I think we tend to blame ourselves. It's like, why didn't I, why couldn't I do this? It's like, well, maybe the diet didn't work for you. You know, like maybe it wasn't actually set up for you to succeed because it was designed, you know, in many cases by men for men based on the research in literature, which is often done by men for men. Right. So, you know, this is more of a female centric approach to long, long long-term weight loss, hormonal balancing, but also body composition and the psychology of, of food. Because one of the, one of the things that I've learned, you know, as a coach, as a doctor is that nutrition is almost I mean, for sure, for sure it has, a, you know, we have to know the physiology, we have to know the implications of macros and everything, but working with women and men with nutrition is almost never about the nutrition. It's almost always about our relationship to the nutrition, right? Totally. This is, this is far more important and we don't talk about it enough. Like I, what I'm talking about here is not like you know, not to, I'm not trying to like be self-derogatory, but it's not rocket science, right? Like it's not, it's, you know, we have like, it's, I'm laying out the map for you to maybe follow, but why people won't necessarily be successful in following that map is the way that they feel about themselves is the stories that they've been told from mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers, whatever, in terms of their worth, in terms of their value, in terms of their capability, you know, et cetera. I know I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but I think it's an important one. 
Oh, it definitely is. And I definitely resonate with that. You know, I was working with a nutritionist and a trainer a few years ago, and I was able to lose 30 pounds, but I basically gained it all back. And so when I hired my most recent nutritionist, you know, we've had many conversations about that because I'm not looking to get on some sort of quick fix diet that's only going to last for a few months and then not be something I'm able to maintain. So for me, it's like figuring out the patterns. And like you said, the relationship with food and, and what's working and what's not working and how I can start to shift that and create something that's more of a lifestyle change. And like you said, an overhaul with my relationship with food so that it's, it, you know, it's something that is all consuming. And I know for me, you know, whether I was 16 or even this age, you know, I've always looked at myself as somebody who wasn't thin enough, even when I was a size four. And so clearly there's something else going on there besides, you know, not being able to follow a diet. Right. Right. And that's so well said. And I, I so appreciate your honesty as well. Cause I don't think that you know, I don't think a lot of people have the, I mean, first, I don't think that they have the awareness that that might be going on, but I think that when we can start looking at how are the, how can we not look at the behavior, but how can we look upstream to the beliefs that are driving the behavior? And that's kind of coming back to the brain, you know, that's sort of like my obsession with like the way that the brain works, but it's like, whenever we have a behavior it's because upstream in the brain, there is a belief system that supports that behavior, right? Yes. So I, I think that that's, that's, and so we can, certainly we can tweak the behaviors, right? Like one of the things I often, you know, when I'm, when I'm, you know, coaching people, like one of the first things you'll hear me say, and like so many people do like hard eye roll, it's like, that it? I'm like, chew your food 20 times on each side and make sure that your fork gets set down on the table when you're chewing. Mm -hmm. And most people are like, stop. That's not, the, that's not the only thing you want me to do. What about this? What about that? What about my yeah. cycle? What about weeks and this? And it's like, that's literally all I want you to do for two weeks. Put your fork down in while you're chewing. Because so many of us, we just hold the fork, yeah. we're chewing, chewing, chewing. And then it's like next, you know, it's the next bite, next bite, next bite. Yeah. And so what we don't actually allow our body to do is send the signal to be like, are you full yet? You know, mm -hmm. should I have the whole bowl or should I eat, you know, one of the, maybe this is a bit more advanced, but I'll just share it with you and your audience. Anyway, one of the things I'll have some of my women do is I'll say, I want you to eat until you're 80% full. Well, how the hell do I know when I'm 80% full? Well, you need to eat slowly, right. <laughs> right. So that you can give your, you can give your body, you know, your stomach and the signaling from some of the hormones that are released from the, the digestive system back up to the brain into these appetite regulation centers. I can say, oh yeah, I know we've had enough calories. We're good. Right. Um, so, I mean, and, and it's harder to do in a, in a modern world where it's like you have everything at your fingertips in 30 minutes or less, but slow and steady is so, I mean, I'm trying to make slow sexy. Like it's like everything slow is better than fast. And, and this is especially true when it comes to nutrition. Yeah. I even noticed pizza is one of the things that I absolutely love. And so I noticed one day when I was just practicing, paying attention to why I was eating, I knew I was full, but I still wanted to eat the rest of the pizza. And I was like, right. what is that about? You know, what is it that I'm actually craving here? Because clearly I'm full. And so what is, you know, what is this symbolized symbolizing and what am I actually yearning for here in this moment? Right. Yeah. And so that awareness. Some Totally. I totally. And like, I, we all have those comfort foods like pizza for you. I love, um, there's, um, 
an Italian, um, it's called cacio e pepe. It's very simple. It's just oh, yeah, like basically spaghetti with like some cheese and some yeah. pepper. And I could, I could eat the entire box of it. Right. But if I try to never eat it, you know, that like white knuckling kind of thing mm-hmm. is going to end up disastrous for me. So I have it, you know, I make sure that I have it in that week four, I have it in week two, uh, as well when I'm increasing my carbohydrates as well, so that I'm, I'm getting a taste of it. And then with time, because, and well, maybe we can talk a little bit about this, but when we try to resist, like, let's say you had the pizza and you're like, no, I'm not going to have absolutely none. Mm -hmm. And then you have one and you're like, frick, like, I just, I just wanted to have the one, you know, just wanted to have the one, like, I'm such a loser. Like, I can't believe I had this slice or whatever. What ends up happening in the brain is your brain's like, well, you did it. There you go. Like, just, you might as well have the whole thing then you know, might as well have the whole pizza then because you had the one, you weren't supposed to have it, et cetera. It actually ends up activating pleasure centers in the brain. And then, so you actively seek out more pleasure. And that might be a clue for you in terms of like, when you're eating the pizza and you're feeling full, you're like, why am I still eating? It's that pleasure center that Mm -hmm. has been activated. That's seeking out more of that dopamine, more of that like positive hit, you know? Mm. Yeah. My therapist told me to read dopamine nation. So maybe that's, that should be next on my list. Um, I love that so much. Okay. So one of the questions that we always ask our guests here on the, I heart my life show is what is one way you'd recommend women create a life that's better than their dreams? Ooh, what a sexy, juicy question. Well, I'm going to come back to the cycles for a minute because I think that the answer is there. I mentioned to you briefly, like in that week four of my cycle that I get, you know, agitated, like sometimes, you know, we, I think we all get Mm -hmm. a little bit more annoyed at our spouses or partners or children or coworkers or whatever. And I think that the clue is there in terms of making your life better than your dreams, because your cycle, I think that at that point in your cycle, there's clues that your body and your soul, if you will this is me getting a bit woo woo, but it, that's like that irritation is a clue. It's like, this isn't serving you this relationship. You're getting annoyed with your spouse. There's some residue, some conversation you haven't had there. You're not having sex enough or like, you know, some, there's something there that you need to, you need to settle up. Or if you're getting annoyed with your coworker or your boss or whatever, there's like, maybe this isn't the job for you. So I really like to pay attention to what I'm getting annoyed at in that, or agitated with in that fourth week. And then when I'm bleeding, when I am on my bleed week, when I'm on my period, it's like, okay, how am I going to change it? How am I going to change this cycle? How am I going to make the next 20 for me? It's 29 days. How am I going to make the next 29 days, you know, the best ever. And part of that might be having more sex with my partner, if that's who's bothering me, or it might be having the the conversation that I've been avoiding with him, or maybe it's setting boundaries with my mother or, you know, know, whatever it is. So I think that that is like, if you look to your cycle as information that will help it, it provides like your body's always providing clues, right? She just doesn't talk in the language we would like, like, she's not going to send you a text and be like, Hey, you need more broccoli girl. Like you need to figure that out yourself. It's going to show up as like agitation with your partner or burnout or dissatisfaction at, at work or whatever. So I think that that's the clue to start creating the life of your dreams. And then the other piece that I would say, and this is something that I've done that I found incredibly helpful is I have a journal. It's actually just behind me. It's like a little special Wonder Woman journal that I have because sometimes I talk to Wonder Woman when I'm asking for guidance. And I I write out all the things that I want. 
Like this is a desire, this is an exercise in desires, which I don't think women do enough. And we are such powerful manifestors. Like think about just your anatomy. You can create human life, whether or not you want to or not different conversation, but you have the capacity to create people. So can you not use that womb power to create the things that you want in your own life? And so often when I ask women, like, what, what brings you joy? Like, what do you want? You know, it's like the, you know, the question like, Hey, what do you guys want to do tonight? Oh, whatever you guys want to do. I'm fine. It's like, no, I want a lobster dinner and I want to go to Cirque du Soleil. And then after that, I want to have like mind blowing sex. That's what I want to do tonight. You know, like I want, (laughs) I want women to be able to say, this is what I want. And you only are able to get there by writing out, maybe not, that's not the only way, but identifying, we'll say it that Mm -hmm. way identifying your desires. For me, that's writing. I like to write. I find it very therapeutic. So for me, I have pages and pages and pages and pages of what I want and allowing yourself to want. I think, you know, when you're a mom, when you're, you know, in a partnership, like we're all, we're just natural caregivers. We're often thinking of other people and we forget about ourselves. We don't make the list. You know, we don't make the, this is the important thing to do today list. And I think when we start to clue into the things that really light us up, that's when you can start creating the life that's way better than your dreams. Thank you for sharing all that. I so resonate. We talk a lot within our community about paying attention to your emotions. And I love that you've highlighted, you know, on week four, that's a great opportunity to do that. And then week one, looking into how you can transform that. So beautiful. So where can people find you? Cause I know they're going to want to dive into your membership, get the book, all the things, where can we find you? Oh, thank you so much. So you can start with the book it's called The Betty Body, uh, bright pink. You know, if you're looking at this on video, it's right there. It's like bright pink. I'm in a purple dress, two favorite colors. Very, you know, very girly. It's called The Betty Body. And it's basically, we go through all that we've talked about today in a lot of detail. So, you know, all the weeks in terms of how you should be eating, how you should be training, rest and recovery. We talk about sex and we talk about orgasms. We talk about brain health, sleep. So that might be a really great place to start. The other place you can find me, I too have a podcast called Better with Dr. Stephanie. So we uh, have a weekly podcast that goes out. And then the other place you can find me is on on Instagram. I'm fairly active and it's at Dr. First Name Lasting. So at Dr. Stephanie Estima on the gram. Amazing. I know you do have your Hello Betty membership. I want to definitely plug that too. Oh yes. And Hello Betty as well. Thank you for, thank you. So we have a membership for our Hello Betty members. So it's actually free to join the community. Um, So you can come and we do a, you know, once a month we do an AMA, like an ask me anything. And we have, we've had guests on like yourself in there as well. So it's just a great, it's a great place for like like like-minded women to come together in circle. Well, thank you so much for being here. I feel like I, my eyes have been opened to a new way of moving through the month and eating and lifting. And more than anything, I'm just reminded that for so many years, we try and dismiss our cycle, pretend like it's not happening. We wish it would turn off, <laughs> um, but there's so much wisdom there. And like you said, it really is that way to create a life that's better than your dreams. So thank you for highlighting that and for all this incredible information. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the I Heart My Life show. Now do us a favor and tell people about this episode. It's truly our duty to make sure that the I Heart My Life movement is spread far and wide. The truth is life can be challenging, but it is possible for all women to love themselves and their lives. 
And while you're at it, send a link to this episode to three of your friends today, or maybe even post it on social media. Use the hashtag I hurt my life show. That's hashtag I hurt my life show. And if you'd like to help me personally, then please rate and review this podcast on Apple podcasts. Give us some stars, cheer us on and leave a review because believe it or not, that stuff actually really does help. And I read all of them. Please remember everything you desire is meant for you and possible. Keep showing up, taking action and believing in your dreams.